Did you know that in the UK, approximately 60,000 babies are born prematurely each year? And that births occurring before 37 weeks account for about 40% of all admissions to a neonatal unit? In the UK, preterm birth rates are higher than in all other European countries. Although survival rates are improving, those at the extremes of prematurity suffer significant levels of mortality and morbidity. The proportion of live births before 24 weeks has steadily increased since 2010, highlighting the need to improve care during the perinatal period to ensure that when these babies are born, they have the highest chance of survival and that morbidity is reduced. One initiative aimed at improving the outcomes of preterm birth is the Maternal and Neonatal Safety Improvement Programme, also known as MATNEO-SIP. The MATNEO-SIP supports the national ambition of reducing maternal and neonatal deaths, stillbirths and brain injuries by 50% by 2025. It focuses on several work streams, including the optimisation and stabilisation of very preterm infants through seven specific interventions. We'll explore each of these interventions in a little bit more detail over the coming months. On today's podcast, I'll be joined by Lawrence Impey. Lawrence is a consultant in obstetrics and the lead for fetal medicine at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. He's also the clinical lead for the Oxford AHSN Maternity and Neonatal Network. Lawrence is interested in patient safety and maternity care, primarily through the development of safe and equitable systems. He has published widely on breech birth, fetal growth and the role of labour in determining neonatal outcomes and is author of the leading undergraduate textbook in obstetrics and gynaecology. Lawrence will be discussing antenatal corticosteroids with me today and the important role they play in preterm birth optimisation. So good morning, Lawrence. Thanks for joining us today. And um, as you know, we're recording several episodes for this podcast talking about preterm birth optimization. And you're here today to talk to us about antenatal corticosteroids. Before we get into some of the detail, um, perhaps for the listeners that don't have so much experience around preterm birth optimization, you could give us an overview of why we give steroids and what they actually do um, to support the baby in its first few weeks. Yes, thanks, Michelle. Um, steroids, if given to a baby born uh, preterm, that's basically before 35 weeks, will improve the long-term life chances for that baby, both in terms of survival, but also in terms of morbidity. And so they're one of the most important interventions that we as obstetricians can use. The difficulty is, that uh, they don't work if you've given them more than seven days before that preterm birth, and they work best if you've given them more than 24 hours. So we have to predict the preterm birth and get the steroids in at the right time. Okay, and steroids have been around for a while, haven't they? Uh, it's one of the probably one of the earliest interventions that we put in place to optimize a baby that's gonna be born prematurely, but why is it getting attention now, do you think? So it's part of um, a very worthy package of trying to um, improve 
the outlook for preterm babies, clearly the most important thing is to try and prevent the preterm birth in the first place. Um, but given that we're, we have limited ability to do that and some preterm births are of course needed, um, it's part of a number of uh, aspects of a package that can improve the, the life chances for that baby. I mean, particularly, there's a, a, a national initiative to reduce the incidence of preterm birth from eight to six percent. Um, whether that's possible remains to be seen. Um, but there are a number of other issues like uh, delayed cord clamping, what's optimized cord clamping nowadays, it's called, which is quite correct, um, and being uh, making sure that the baby is born in the right place. So it's one of a, a package of interventions that will improve things for the baby that is born preterm. And you talked a little bit about the fact that we need to achieve steroids within that seven day window. And I think that's the thing that's that's the, the new information that we're gleaning more um, detail on, isn't it? Is that historically we've we've given steroids at the first opportunity and haven't really considered the timing of when we give them and the importance of that. So how, what's changed recently that's focusing us much more on that seven day window, do you think? Well, if you're more than seven days they don't work um, or they don't work sufficiently um, and previously the data was simply being collected on whether they were given or not before birth uh, now quite correctly it's focusing on whether they were given seven days before birth so you know people are are understandably wanting to give the intervention at the right time so that prediction, presumably, is quite challenging. What tools do we have to enable us to predict when a baby is likely to be born? Well, it's very difficult because, um, I mean, if you divide preterm births into iatrogenic births and those that occur spontaneously, even the iatrogenic births, you don't know necessarily when you're going to uh, recommend expediting a preterm birth of a compromised baby, because in general, the further the pregnancy goes within reason, the better. So, um, you know, it's, it's natural to give steroids as soon as you diagnose a problem, but in fact, it may be more than a week that the pregnancy can be reasonably continued. Um, and so the steroids are going to not work if you give them before that. Before spontaneous labor, again, it's extremely difficult. We have a number of tools that will predict when that, that spontaneous labor is going to occur. Um, the most widely used is a fibronectin or point of care assay, but there's also a cervical scan. So you scan the cervix to measure its length. That is not in routine use in this country. So it's only used for women at, who are known by virtue of their history to be increased risk of preterm birth. But of course, there is now indirect evidence that it might well be a worthwhile thing to offer as a screening tool for, for all women. But even that uh, and fibronectin have a very high screen positive rate uh, and you will end up giving a lot of women steroids uh, for uh, any cutoff you choose. The future, and this is already beginning, is, is things like the Quip app, which use multiple different independent predictors of preterm birth and mathematically integrate them um, using not just cutoffs, so is the cervix short or long, but what is the actual length of the cervix, what is the actual fibronectin level, puts those together uh, and they uh, give us a better a screening performance. That means you will predict 
more women who are going to give preterm uh, give birth preterm and you will uh, not have a high screen positive rate but even that is not going to be enough uh, to allow us to give preterm uh, birth prediction accurately uh, even to high risk women and what's the danger of us giving steroids to somebody that then goes on to deliver a later gestation? Is there any issues associated with that? Yes, these must be set um, in context, so against the very serious benefits. Um, but there is emerging data now um, that babies that have been exposed to antenatal steroids are more likely to have uh, some neurological issues such as behavioural disorders. Uh, and of course, neonatal hypoglycemia is more common in babies exposed to antenatal steroids. And this is uh, the case even if they were exposed remote from the time of birth. Now, neonatal hypoglycemia, you may say, is not a particularly serious thing, uh, but it is one of the few uh, neonatal markers, uh, other than the obvious ones, that have been associated with long-term disability. And in the absence of neonatal screening for all, then it's really quite important that we do avoid uh, this, this problem if we can. So I just want to go back to cervical length screening then for a moment. It, um, the majority of cases where um, spontaneous labor occurs tends to be these women will arrive at the triage or uh, in, in an acute setting. Um, do we have the expertise within those settings to enable us to offer cervical length screening, do you think? Is that something that we need not, to allow for in the future? Not in every unit. I mean, the, the important point is women who come in in so-called threatened preterm birth, depending on the study you look at, probably 50% and in some cases more don't actually give birth preterm, but go on to deliver at a normal gestation. And so to try and differentiate between those and the ones who are going to give birth is very difficult. And cervical length scanning, along with uh, quantitative assays of, of things like fibronectin, are the two principal tools that we can use. Most units don't have the uh, facilities or expertise to do cervical length scanning, either in that kind of acute situation or, or um, for, for screening in, in the way that I've discussed before. So, most, most places won't be scanning the cervix of women presenting. Uh, they will be relying on the woman's prior risk and they will be relying on clinical factors. And, and in most cases, you'd hope they'd, rely, they'd use uh, fibronectin assay as well. Of course, the, the Quip app will give you a risk of preterm birth in the next seven days. Um, and that's the important one as far as steroids is concerned. Um, but that is more accurate if you add uh, cervical scanning as well as the fibronectin assay. So you can use the fibronectin assay alone, but it's better if you use a cervical scan too. Thank you. So, um, the, with the new performance monitoring sitting around achieving that uh, seven day target. So historically we've always, we've monitored how many women we give steroids to and we've, we've measured our performance against a simple yes or no to that question now we're looking more at trying to achieve it within the seven days what's our performance like is it well a number of yeah, I mean, a number of regions have, have done audits on this um we we did one uh, as you know in the thames valley region and we were doing pretty well for steroids uh, at some stage in the pregnancy before uh, a very preterm birth but as far as steroids were concerned in in the previous 
seven days or more than 24 hours and less than seven days, we were about one in three uh, births had been given steroids first at the appropriate time. And that is because, as I've said, the extreme difficulties in predicting preterm birth. The risk here is that we give too many steroids. And my view, um, and I've shared this before, is that if we chase the 90% or 80% target too much, the only way of actually achieving that with the current uh, risk calculators that we have, even the QIP app, the only way of achieving that is by repeating steroids. And if we start repeating steroids, so you gave them three weeks before, and then you realize they haven't given birth in that first seven days, so you give them again, then the risk of that is firstly, they don't really work. And secondly, uh, you are exposing a developing brain to very high doses of steroids. And there is good reason to believe that that is not a good idea. So there is quite a significant risk that if we chase a target without thinking very carefully about that, then we could actually cause a great deal more harm than good. So you said that they don't really work. Is that when you're giving repeated doses, they're less effective? Well, the evidence suggests that repeated uh, steroids uh, don't work um, in terms of they're no better uh, than, than not repeating the steroids, if you like. Um, it would be reasonable to believe that in the very, very preterm baby, it may be worth repeating the, the steroids uh, because those are the babies that benefit most from the steroids. So if you've got a baby coming out at 23 and a half weeks and the steroids were given uh, 22 and a half weeks, then it would might be reasonable anyway to, to, to give steroids again under those circumstances because of the very high morbidity and mortality of that preterm baby. It's tricky, isn't it? You're a you're a junior doctor working in a maternity triage setting. You've got a you know a limited number of tools at your disposal. I suppose if we're not cervical length screening, we uh, we're using fetal fibronectin, but we know there are contraindications to using that in certain circumstances. So, how do how do we support our teams to make the right decisions around giving well, steroids? It's, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, you know, you you, you write them a guideline. Um, and you try and get the guideline right to be a compromise, as in much of life. Um, and that compromise is between giving steroids at the appropriate time, um, but not exposing too many babies, particularly those who aren't going to give birth preterm, to the potential risks of antenatal steroids. Um, and that's the first stage. So you write that guideline with um, consideration of the best evidence. And of course, what is actually possible, because the second point is that guidelines very often don't get followed, either because they're too complex or they require too much resource or time. Um, so you try and keep the guideline as simple as possible. But that second point, even with a really good guideline, is difficult because people uh, either have their own opinions or more particularly, um, they find it, it difficult to follow when they've got so many other things on the, on their on their plates. And presumably, there's uh, there's the kind of historical behaviours that we need to potentially change mindsets of people that have been given steroids for a long time and therefore aren't fully aware of the potential harm that can be caused if we overuse them. I guess there will be a period of time where there's a there's you know some kind of general awareness raising that needs to happen to to improve that as well 
Um, how do women feel about steroids? Do you think we do you think they're fully aware of the the risks and benefits from your experience? That's a very good question, actually. Um, I mean, the the a lot of women do know about steroids. In my experience, it's relatively rare for women to be asking about them. Um, I think the important thing is that women are given the information about steroids and the benefits and risks that where it's absolutely clear to us, then I think as with any intervention or even non-intervention, we should explain uh, the, in, in, in the basic data around it. And then because we're not in clinical equipoise, we should say, we advise that you have these steroids. There are situations where we are not in, where we are in clinical equipoise. In other words, uh, the benefits uh, may be qualitatively uh, sim similar to the drawbacks. And in those circumstances, uh, my view, and I think that of a lot of people, is that it is very reasonable to say to the, the person, these are the good things, these are the bad things, uh, what would you like to do? Ultimately, that is, it's important that we differentiate between that and a situation where we're not in clinical equipoise. Ultimately, she does have to give her consent, of course, but it, 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 it's important that we do not easily agree to do something that's clearly not the right thing to do. Absolutely. It's uh, it's tricky, isn't it? I think uh, we women want to be given the opportunity to make informed choice and they absolutely should. But sometimes it's not quite as uh, black and white as we as the picture that we want to paint for them. Yeah, so your, you, you talked about the risk of hypoglycemia in your local unit, which is um, obviously a, a level three neonatal um, intensive care unit. Are we monitoring babies post birth that have been exposed to steroids during the antenatal period? Is that something that you're making a conscious decision to do? Well, I think very few units are. Um, we are I mean, currently, my understanding is that the BAPM guidelines on uh, neonatal hypoglycemia don't recommend routine screening, as we know. Um, we adapted them in Oxford um, so that we screened babies where we thought there was a placental problem, but the baby was not small for gestational age. Um, and we are in the process of adapting them to include people who have been exposed, babies that have been exposed to steroids antenatally. Fantastic. And hopefully um, that will be shared across the region and we'll all start to adopt that new behaviour soon. Uh, the same thing. It's, it's again, it's 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 more tests. Um, let's hope that there is a worthwhile benefit from it. Fantastic. So if you could give one piece of advice just before we sum up um, to staff working in an acute setting where we tend to see um, women that present with, you know, with um, symptoms that are suggestive of threatened preterm labour that we know then potentially don't deliver, what, what would be the best advice that you could give to those doctors that are in the position of making that decision about whether to give or not give? Well, the first thing I'd say is that the gestation at which you give birth is probably the single most important determinant of your long-term health. So it is important that um, if we can, um, we don't make women give birth early. So prevention is the most important thing. If preterm birth is inevitable, then um, I mean, the key thing is, is that we should be trying to give steroids 
24, more than 24 hours uh, and less than seven days before birth. I, like everybody else, find that very difficult um, because the, the um, data and the algorithms we have for prediction are, are imperfect. But it's certainly something that we should be, you know, all, all doctors should, should, should think about and think about how high that risk is. So rather than just trying to tick the box, have I given steroids, how high actually is that risk of them delivering it in, in the next seven days? But I can't give any pearls of wisdom because like everybody else, I'm fairly ignorant on this because as, as, as a world, as a research community, um, we're still pretty bad at prediction. Thank you. Um, thanks for talking to us today. It's been really um, insightful and I think it's nice to be in a position where we have a little bit more information now and we can um, we can be better informed when we're making these decisions and include obviously the women in those decisions as well. Um, we will of course put links to the the BAPM optimization bundle that we're talking about throughout this podcast. Um, and if there's any other useful reading that you think um, would be helpful to your colleagues, Lawrence, then it would be really great if you could um, forward those and we'll put those onto the podcast data as well. But thanks again for your time today. Sure, my pleasure.